we're, we're going to look at David's, um, the latter part of David's life there where um, we see some messiness in his family. Some brokenness in his family. Uh, we've already looked at his sin of adultery and him abusing Bathsheba and having her husband killed and he was told by the prophet Nathan that there would be consequences that would follow. And, uh, and so we're going to look at chapter 13 today, and I've titled this message, Trouble at Home. Trouble at Home. And I think this is a, a fitting message for, for us as we, um, many of us will be spending time with family um, this, you know, next week. Um, and for, for many folks around this time of year, um, the pain of family trouble, the pain of family scars and wounds eclipses the joy and the comforts of being with family. Or maybe there's, you know, there's not connection with family because of dysfunction and brokenness within the family. And so we're going to look at King David's life here his response to some terrible things that happened uh, to his daughter, uh, to one of his sons, and his response or lack of response to that. Um, so if you, you all would pray with me. Father, thank you for your people. What a privilege it is to gather with your people in corporate worship, to be reminded as we have this morning that we have a Redeemer who is risen and reigns. Thank you, God, in the midst of a fallen, broken world where there is injustice, abuse, deception, and all sorts of pain and messiness. We have a perfect Savior. We have a good, good Father. And so I pray that this message this morning, as we look at the raw telling of the story of dysfunction within David's family, I pray that you would meet my brothers and sisters here who can identify with these things. And that you would bring healing. And that you would bring hope. And that you would bring freedom, new levels of freedom for your people. And that we would shine bright, as, brighter and brighter as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read a long passage of scripture, if you all would bear with me. Is it okay to read scripture in church? Okay, good. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. 
And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. And so Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come to me and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when he brought them near him to eat, He took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, and as for you, You would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than her, he violated her and he lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other, th- the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her, and he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. And so the servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. She laid her her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived in a desolate, Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. 
when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Absalom, at verse 23, Absalom, uh, two, two, after two years, Absalom had sheep shears at Belhazar, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shears. Please, please let the king and his servants go with your servants. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not go. Let us not all go, lest we be, a burden, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should we go with you? Verse 27, but Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Then Absalom commanded his servants, mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear, for I've commanded you. Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded, and then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. While they they were on the way, news came to David: Absalom has struck down all the son, all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants were standing by. Torn, torn by torn garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, said, Let not my Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let my Lord, the king, I'm sorry, now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead. Amnon alone is dead. Absalom uh, then flees. Uh, uh, and the young man who kept watch lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Verse 35. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, and as your servants said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's son came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. But Absalom fled and he went to Talmah the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. And so Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. 
Lord, help me. Help me lead your people through this story and through the pain that we've experienced and that we see in this world. Jesus' name. So here's our big idea this morning. David experienced the painful consequences of his sin through the trouble from within his own family. And pardon my poor reading of the text this morning. I've been very broken just studying this passage, thinking about this passage, thinking about some of you who've gone through some painful experiences, thinking about painful experiences of my own. And many of us have experienced dysfunction, brokenness in our families, pain, wounds that go deep. And I love that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat or or hide, um, cover up the raw stories like this of brokenness, which I think should offer us hope and healing We see that David was a man who followed God. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved God, but he committed some significant sins. He violated the Ten Commandments. He committed adultery and murder and concealed his sin. And he repented, and he found forgiveness of his sins. He didn't die as he deserved to die. He didn't get judgment and immediately die and be removed as king as he deserved. He got mercy. But he still had consequences that he had to live out for the rest of his life. And those consequences were mainly seen within his family. And so, let me first just remind us of what Nathan said would happen. And my first point is that David's family problems were a consequence of his sin. Now, this isn't the case in every situation. But I think it's very clear that the sins of parents affect their children the sins of parents affect their children don't ever think that you you sin in a vacuum and that it has no effect on those around you because it does our sin affects us and it affects our relationships especially those who are closest to us especially our children and so nathan said He said, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife Uriah, uh, the Hittite, to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. Nevertheless, because because this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This was a part of the word uh, that Nathan gave to to David when he confronted him in his sin. And yes, he told him that his sins were forgiven, that God God had uh, covered his sins and taken care of them and that he wouldn't die. But he also said, here are some consequences that you are going to experience in your lifetime. The thing that breaks my heart as I read this story, and I want to spend a good amount of time on, is David's passivity. When when David saw what happened to his daughter, 
into his son. His response, I think, I, as I read it, I think it should have been different. And the text doesn't, doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it just says that he was, he was angry when he heard that his daughter Tamar had been violated. It says that he was very angry, and rightly so. He should have been angry that his son violated his daughter. But I think there should be a little bit more in the story there. I think there should have been some conversations that should have been had there. Now, I don't know, we don't know what happened exactly. But, the, but I think it, it's, it's important that we don't give in, as, as fathers, that we don't give in to what appears David gave in to a passivity in parenting. And we see Absalom's response to, to the thing. Absalom took his, his daughter Tamar, or his, his sister Tamar under his wing. Other, and and he, he provided some shelter, some protection for her, some coverage for her that, that David seemed to fail to, to give her. But Absalom didn't say anything to Amnon either because he hated him. He was plotting he was plotting something evil for him. The bitterness was brewing. He didn't, see, he didn't see consequences happen that should have happened when this violation took place. He saw inaction on the part of the king, the one who is to enforce the law and lead with justice and defend those who are violated. And so he decided to take matters in his own hands. He decided to come up with a plan to try to make things right according to his perspective. So David's passivity added to, to his sins and it made matters worse. A number of theologians highlight this and I agree with them that David failed as a father. Eugene Peterson, one of them, says that sin feeds sin. The rape of Tamar led, fed the murder of Amnon, which in turn fed the hard-heartedness of David. Absalom responded to Amnon's sin by sinning. Then David responded to Absalom's sin by sinning. Absalom got rid of Amnon by killing him. David got rid of Absalom by shunning him. David lost his son Amnon because the sin of Absalom. And then David lost his son Absalom by his own sin. And so what David was seeing right before his eyes was violation of the same commandments that he himself violated. Adultery and murder. And he saw these occurring through his own children. And he didn't respond like a loving, responsible, just father, good father and just king could and should have responded. And it just makes me wonder why. What was going on with him? What were his struggles? What was his, his thought patterns? Eugene Peterson expounds on this further and he says that this was the third monumental sin of David's life and the most inexcusable it was also the one for which he would pay the highest price. 
The adultery with Bathsheba was the affair of a passionate moment. The murder of Uriah was a royal reflex to avoid detection. But the rejection of Absalom was a steady, determined refusal of David to give his son what God had given David himself. You see, David was restored. He was forgiven, right, after he committed these sins. And it didn't seem that there was that kind of process with Amnon or with Absalom or even with Tamar. Hopefully there were some counselors, some people that, safe people that they could talk to. And I think it would have been ideal for David as the father of the house to be a safe person for them to talk to and for him to hold his children accountable, for him to be an instrument of healing and grace to his children by engaging their hearts. David's way of dealing with Absalom's murder was just letting them go, shunning them. Though he longed for him, his spirit longed for his son. We, we don't see any action. We see this even later on in David's life, when at the, ends of, at the end of his life in 1 Kings chapter uh, 1, um, when, when it was time for Solomon, Solomon was in line to become king. And uh, this is 1 Kings 1.5. About that time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, never disciplined him at any time, by, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. And so we see a, a character flaw here. We see a, a parental failure here in this man who loved the Lord. And, and we've already seen this in 1 Samuel, in 2 Samuel. We've, we've saw this with uh, Eli and, and his sons. We, we saw this with Samuel and his sons. And now again, we're seeing a parental failure. When the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6 commanded the Israelites to be diligent to teach their children God's ways, to talk about them, to, 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 when they sit down and when they lie down, they were to diligently teach their children. And for some reason, there was, there was, a, there was a parental failure here, which I think was passivity. And so... Why do fathers become passive and advocate their role? I, I listed a couple of reasons here that it, as I just thought about what, what exactly, what is it that leads a father to give up his God-given responsibility and role to engage the hearts of his children and teach his children? One is guilt. And maybe this was what was going on with David. Maybe David just felt guilt like, who am I to address my, my son for doing what I did, in a sense? My sons for doing what I did, in a sense. One of the differences, though, was that, that David repented. Yet, if David hadn't repented and he addressed his sons, 
and he continued in that sin and hadn't repented, yeah, he would have been a hypocrite. But he had repented. He could have spoken into their lives. He could have walked them through repentance just like he walked through. Psalm 51 describes. Perhaps it was guilt. Shame. Shame, which, which has more to do with who we are, not, not just what we do. Or fear. Maybe there's fear of failure. Fear of rejection, selfishness, laziness, brokenheartedness. There are many fathers that are just broken. And they're perpetuating the brokenness that they themselves have experienced. Addiction. Overwork. Depression. So these are, these are some of the things that I think lead fathers to be passive and abdicate their, their God-given role. And... Uh, you know, as I was thinking about my own life and uh, the brokenness of my own family, I w- this gave me a great occasion to shed some tears and experience some healing. There were things that I experienced as a five-year-old that no five-year-old should ever experience. There were things that I experienced as a 12-year-old that no 12-year-old should ever experience. Things that I would have thought made me more of a man and made me tougher. And yeah, it did make me tougher. But now looking back, having children of my own, those same ages, and looking back, I would call those things abuse that were done to me. It was just the environment that I grew up in. And I know that many of you have been through these kinds of things. You have memories and pains, scars, people who've hurt you, people that you need to forgive, healing. And I think one of the painful thoughts is I think back on my own life and the dysfunction in my own family. It's the absence of my father. Where was he? Where was he? Where was he when those things happened to me? Where was he? Fathers are God-given. They have a God-given role to protect, to lead, to, to help guide the family, to provide, to be the spiritual priest in the home. And I just think, if my dad had been there, that wouldn't have happened. And that's, that's a painful thought. That's a painful thought. And it hurts. But my own father was bound up by his own addiction. He was bound up by his own guilt and his own shame and his own brokenness that he himself was walking through. And he needed Jesus. He was blinded by his own sins. My own mother was bound up. She struggling as a single mom with three, trying to raise three wild boys on minimum wage, food stamps, a two-bedroom apartment. She couldn't be there all the time and, and look out all the time for us. 
And so I share these things not so that you can sympathize with me or I've, I've never seen myself as a victim. But I share them because I know that many of you have some of the similar pains that I have. And one of the things that helps heal that hurt is being reminded that I have a good father. I have a good father. A perfect father. A perfect savior. And when I came to Christ, after losing my father at 15 years old, after losing my brother at 13 years old, after seeing my mom strung out on meth, going from hotel to hotel, and just experiencing all the brokenness and pain and dark things that I did in that season of life, I wept, I cried, I hadn't cried for years. And I remember December 12th, 1998, I wept like a baby. And first it was, it was out of pain, just there was so much pain balled up inside. And then I began to cry out of joy. Out of joy because my broken heart was being healed. I was finding healing and wholeness and freedom, salvation in Christ. And what was done to me and what I did doesn't define me. I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. And so bear with me when I get excited talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling everybody everywhere because I've experienced the joy of salvation. I've experienced forgiveness and freedom and healing. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. God brought me out of brokenness, out of the pit of despair. And all those things that I went through, none of it's wasted. None of it's wasted. The Lord's using it. and He's going to use it. And what you've been through, what you've been through will not go wasted. Trust that the Lord will bring healing through your scars into the lives of others. When I got saved, I, I uh, gosh, I started going into the juvenile detention center and started talking to Young people who had been through things that I had been through. And, and for six years or so on Sunday nights, I went and preached the gospel and led worship and shared my testimony and tried to offer hope, a message of gospel hope to other young people who had experienced similar things that I had. Some of those, I became a juvenile correctional officer at a halfway house while I was in Bible school and got to work with young people and even bring them to church and stuff. And, you know, some of the, well, I'm not going to go there. Okay. Okay, I'm going to move on. I'm, I'm getting sidetracked here. And so let's go back. 
Let me just talk a little bit about the responsibility and the, the hope of parental discipline. Proverbs uh, nineteen eighteen says, discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. This was King Solomon, the son of David, and, and who wrote these words of wisdom. And perhaps he was thinking about his own father and his brothers when he wrote these words. For in that there's hope. We're told in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so we see a God-given role that parents have, especially fathers, in leading their, their children, leading their family. Let me move on to this next section here. What we also see in this text is we see that David's parental pain was deep. David's parental pain was deep. I want you to see it in verse 36. The king also and his servants wept bitterly. When Amnon was killed, they wept bitterly. David mourned for his son day after day. Amnon was his firstborn son. He loved him. But for some reason, that love didn't lead him to hold him accountable properly as I see it. You see in verse 39, And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he, is, he was comforted by Amnon since he was dead. And then we see something going on with Absalom. We see Absalom away from his father, not receiving a welcome, a restoration. His father not walking him through reconciliation. We see that Absalom planned to murder his brother to take matters into his own hands. He divided Israel. He stole the hearts of the Israelites. He started undermining his father's authority. Addressing the people of Israel individually and, and suggesting that he had better ways to take care of them and better ways to lead them. Absalom took matters into his own hands. He objectified people like a, like a crooked politician to gain position and power. He stole the allegiance from David. He tried to make people think he really cared. And he tried to build support for a planned coup. Gets pretty, pretty, um, pretty intense here. So it goes from a dysfunctional family, as one theologian says, a dysfunctional family to destruction in the family to, to, national, um, to national turmoil and division. And so, so Absalom decided... To overthrow his father as king. And, and, and when you, when you, when you, we don't have time to, to read the rest of the story. But the rest of uh, 2 Samuel to chapter 18. There's this narrative of, of Absalom trying to overthrow his father's kingship. His father's authority. And David goes on the run. Again, this, David had been on the run before in the wilderness. Running from Saul. 
he had been on the run, and not because of anything he had done wrong, but now he's on the run, running from his own son, who wants to take his life. David found himself in a very hard place. I can just imagine the pain that he felt at that moment. I, I can imagine the feelings of a failure that he felt like in those moments of his life. A man who did great, some great things, loved God in great ways, and wrote many great worship songs, who spent much time with God, but his the consequences of his sin were impacting his family. And while David was on the run, David writes this psalm in Psalm 3. We see that David was preserved by God in this psalm here. And there's an inscription on the top of Psalm 3. It says that a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. He says, O Lord... How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, for you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is a beautiful psalm, a beautiful prayer that David wrote while he was on the run from Absalom while he fled from him. And he, that God sustained him. He declares that he was able to sleep, to lay down in peace and have rest in that time of his life because God was his shield, because God was the lifter of his head. Though David may have been, been looking down with shame, God was the lifter of his head. God was his shield. God was his savior, his deliverer, his fortress. And he makes this profound statement at the very end of this psalm. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. David knew that rescue comes from God alone. David knew that God alone was, was who, who would save and who would rescue. And we see that God sustained him. God brought David through. Absalom ended up dying. Absalom had very long hair. He was a handsome man. He had very long hair. And it got caught in a tree. And so while, while during the coup, and, and he was trying to take out his father, he was riding a, an animal and he got caught in a tree and Joab came to him and he ended up spearing him and killing him. And David, David was preserved, fulfilled. David in Psalm 30, 
7 says that the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast down headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. David was a man, a righteous man who had fallen. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. We see David sustained by God and God lifting him up. In Acts 13, 36, we see this statement about David's purpose or the purpose of God being fulfilled in his life. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. And so we see that even in spite of all his failures and all his sins, the Lord preserved him. He still was the king of Israel, and he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And Jesus was not ashamed to be called the son of David. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus, one of the names for Jesus the Messiah was son of David. And Jesus was the greater David, the greater king to come who would do justice, who would do righteousness, who wouldn't misuse his authority and his power. And so let me just close with a couple points of application. Number one, remember that there is forgiveness when we turn from sin and we trust in Christ, but there still may be painful consequences for our sin. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever that he will also reap. And then parents, be intentionally engaging the hearts of your children and be diligent in teaching, be diligent in teaching them the truth. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about one of the spaces that we do this as a family, and that is around the dinner table. Thankfully, I have an amazing wife who makes some amazing meals, and frequently throughout the week, we have a meal around the table together as a family, and we talk about highs and lows and buffaloes. Buffaloes are just some random thing that happens in your day. And we share with one another what's going on. We, we share joys. We share disappointments. We talk about what God's doing, good things that are happening. We read scripture. We pray together. Just enjoy time around the table. And there's, as I was thinking about this, there's just so much formation, formation that's happening around the table. Don't underestimate the power of being around the table together as a family rather than around the TV as a family where we can look each other in the face, have conversations with one another. I was also thinking about one of the things we've taught our kids in light of this, you know, is the, the importance of proper. There's some great resources out there that parents have these difficult conversations with kids, with their kids, about proper touch, what's proper and what's improper, what to do when there's some kind of improper touch. 
These are conversations we need to have, and I know that many of our, us parents have done so. We've led, led our children through these things. Next, face your own personal guilt and shame and fear with the gospel so that you can be present to effectively lead others to freedom. We're going to be most effective in leading others and, and parents, leading our children when we face our own guilt and shame and fear with the gospel. When we bring stuff to the light, where we cultivate a clear conscience before God, it will give us confidence and the freedom to say the things that we need to say courageously and to walk others through their own struggles. Next is avoid seeking revenge and entrust judgment to God as the just judge. We see Absalom, him taking matters into his own hands. Lastly, confront injustice and abuse. This is something that David should have done. And he seemed to fail to do so. So Absalom decided to take his own hands and handle it his own way. 